This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. Today, I'm speaking with James Hatchman, a co-founder and CEO of Voice of Health. It's a social platform providing access to people and communities where you can talk about your life with supportive people based on your shared lived experience. We talk about James's journey and inspiration to develop Voice of Health with insights into the startup life and the journey to date. James's journey highlights just how important our lived experiences within our families and friendship circles is to offering nuggets of insight that identify problems that startup founders can respond to. Voice of Health is responding to a well-known problem to overcome barriers to accessing mental health care. Although there are many established pathways available, the reality is that only a percentage of the population in need use them. So it begs the question, what other access points could be developed to address the needs of the rest of the population should they need mental health support? This is where Voice of Health has taken a clever online peer support approach where people from the community who have gone through their own mental health journey can become peer-to-peer support for other people. James calls them active listeners. We break down the innovative elements, having a scalable community of active listeners in a stigma-free, affordable, secure, accessible application platform. We also walk through the experience that's been designed for the Voice of Healthcare community, the active listeners, and the mental health partner network. So whether you're interested in a new approach to accessing mental health care or digital mental health, or startup insights, or learning more about digital health concepts, or even thinking about how to partner with a new source of referrals, you'll get a lot out of this episode. Let's jump in. Oh, hey there, James. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So a lot to talk about with you today. You've got a really interesting project growing up called Voice of Health, and we'll get into all the details around why Voice of Health was created. And you're in the startup phase, an early stage of growth. So you're dealing with the trials and tribulations of trying to get a vision out of the ground. So I'd love to be able to talk with that with you today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, James? What brings you to this point? Yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one. Uh, Myself and my co-founder, Luke, always have a bit of a laugh about this, which is about how eclectic our background is to end up at this point. Which is like, if you looked at our trajectory from where we were, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you'd never expect we would be where we are doing what we're doing today. When I first left school, I was like, I'm going to be a property developer. I want to be in the property game and I want to work in the property industry as much as I can. So I did. I started working in the property industry to get some experience straight out of school, did it for a little bit. Then decided, nah, I, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people who every three years really needs to make a major change, otherwise I get bored. But then I decided to go overseas and travel for about 15 months or so. Then came back and was like, well, what am I going to do? Decided to get straight back into real estate as a bit of a temporary thing. It ended up being a little more permanent than I expected. So I did that for about two years. And then I guess the background when people ask me, well, what's your background without all the details is I, I say I'm ex-Navy because then I actually joined the Navy and I was a maritime warfare officer for the Australian Navy for a little bit of time. I think it was, there was a kind of a moment where I went, I kind of want to, I went from the most structured, I guess, work environment to going, nah, I want to do my own thing, which is the least structured when it first starts. 
So I kind of left that when it came to Voice of Health. It was, I wanted to start something, myself and Luke both wanted to start something that really was going to make a difference in people's lives rather than just, I guess, you know, a business. We wanted to make sure that we could have a positive impact at the same time. And so health was kind of the natural uh, space for us to kind of move into. And we found ourselves through our own lived experience, both myself with family members and those I care about having to, you know, I I don't say look after them, but be their support. And Luke having his own trials and tribulations with his own mental health and experiencing that, we were most passionate about the mental health side of things. And we also found that that was where the biggest gap existed. And so Voice of Health grew out of that. And that's kind of how it started. We've obviously pivoted and changed even its first iteration. But yeah, that's kind of the, the birth of it, I think, is, uh, is kind of the, the snapshot of how we ended up here. Luke has his obviously his own journey up into that point he was in marketing and and research and he was in finance and he was a pt and so it didn't really make any sense that we got to here but i think lived experience was the biggest driver for ending up in the mental health space and the lived experience kind of representing observations like you're looking at it life you're looking at it, the world the people around you and you're sort of drawing some some ideas you know in the startup world a, a hypothesis or two what exactly sort of led to that where luke and yourself thought we need to address a particular problem. Was there something that you could see in through that lived experience that you could define and articulate as a problem? I think the part that, uh, part of the lived experience that was the most poignant for us was that was the part where I think for me in supporting others, it was like I was supporting them in the kind of preventative stages. That's how we ended up in preventative mental health. I think you know the preventative stages, like trying to help them not end up in the you know those the crisis level or the you know more serious uh, more acute mental health space and for Luke it was a very similar experience for him with his own mental health which was that the thing that ended up helping him the most was when he actually reached out to the people that were closest to him in his peer group he's he always talks about you know he has an enormous group of uh, guy mates maybe 10 to 15 of them and it was the moment that he went actually guys the reasons I've been maybe not coming to these events is because my anxiety has been really getting the better of me and it was that moment when he just shared it with his peers and it kind of well, essentially just got it off his chest and, and made people understand. Others were like, actually, I'm the same. We were like, wow, there's, there's such a need for that preventative space. And the leap for a lot of people from going from, oh, I was suffering in silence to speaking to a psychologist is huge. And there's a whole bunch of people that we could provide help to well and truly before they, they get to that point. Or we could actually complement their existing support that they're getting through professionals. And that's so we went both our own lived experience and realizing how it helped us, the preventative space, but then how we can actually help others in a way that was also scalable, I think is what a big thing that we wanted to do as well. Why don't we break it down? What is Voice of Health and why did you give it that name? Yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a fantastic question, both of them, I guess. So I guess what, as far as what it is, it's, we are, as I said, a preventative mental health company that is based around providing accessible online peer support that is based on lived experience, empathy, and active listening being the, the, the key methodology that we teach when it comes to providing support. And so our app is designed for users to have equitable access to mental health support, no matter who you are, where you are, what your situation is, so that we can remove some of those barriers. And we've tried to make it as simple as possible to go from, I'm sitting here, I just really want to talk to someone and talk something through, download the app, log in, find an active listener that's on our app, start talking straight away. And so I think for us, we really wanted to make that process super simple. You connect based on the experience that you've had and the active listener can identify their own lived experience and you can connect based on that. And that was really important to us to like stick to the values of just like as simple as possible, equitable access and make it so that everyone can can get the support that they need. 
As far as the voice of health part, I think for us, it was really important, both two, two sides, I think, maybe. One was that we wanted to have a voice in a space that we felt was very stagnant, very slow moving. And we were like, it's time to have a voice in this space. But also we wanted to connect it to the fact that we all have our own voice and we should have the ability to be able to speak about what we're talking about. So there was kind of the ties in with the destigmatization, and then there was have your voice and have our active listeners listen to you. So there was a few parts to that. The health part was because you know we weren't going to be the voice of mental health, I think, as part of it as well. The mental health is often the foundation of your total health. So it wasn't just about having a voice for your own mental health, if that makes sense, I think. It's an interesting journey to get to where we're because actually my brother and my best friend were used to be part of the business as well. And so my brother was actually the one who came up with the uh, idea, but unfortunately, they're no longer part of the business. It's okay. We're all still amicable. Still my best friend. Still my brother. <laughs> there's definitely, um, there's definitely going to be a startup story in that at some point in your life, I'm sure. It's part of oh, the, part of the yeah. journey on occasions. Oh, definitely. Like, I mean, people are like, oh, but I've got this founder who I don't think is as invested in the business as, yeah. as, as I am. I'm like, yeah, try getting rid of your blood and, and, your, <laughs> and your best friend for 27 years. And, but they were, they were fine, so that was okay. But yeah, I think it was kind of a collective that we were like, it really resonated with us, I think. I think, I think that's probably about it. As you know, I, I, I love brands and I love stories, so it's always good to understand the background that led to that sort of succinct expression of what your um, proposition is, you know, to the consumer, to your customer. But you used a, you used a few terms in there, so I just want to want to unpack those a little bit as well. So you you use the term uh, accessible online peer support. Take me through that. That seems like very deliberate use of words. So, and I think at least from what I understand, it's at the heart of what Voice of Health is about. So, what does that each of those words mean in the context of the type of experience that you're offering people when they engage with Voice of Health? Yeah the, yeah, the term, well, starting from the start, the term accessible really relates back to that removing the barriers of entry to get support. So we, we don't, that good mental health should be exclusive to those who can afford it or to those who are in the right situation to do that. So we wanted to make it accessible for everyone. Part of the accessibility is also scalability. So it ties into some of the other language that's really important for us, which is also then, I mean, online is online, that's fine. <laughs> but then the peer support part is that, we're all we're surrounded by our peers constantly, and the the concept of peer support is uh, keeps you in a situation where the balance of power I think is is very even. Whereas you know the you know going and seeking a psychologist is the, the balance of power is kind of thrown out. So the lived experience is not it doesn't resonate as much. So if you can keep that that peer level where it's you're connecting with someone who is like you, who is who can empathize with you, who can you know connect based on lived experience that that. I guess therapeutic connection and that emotional connection you make with the person is far stronger. And so we found that if we can empower peer support, well, if we're all peers, then that allows us to basically upskill anybody to be able to provide support based on their own lived experience. And that's where the active listening part comes in is that, you know, we train people in the the concepts of active listening so that they can use their lived experience, empower them, and then they can provide support to the people around them and their peers. So they don't have to go through a you know a degree or they don't have to have all of these other potential qualifications to just go, hey, I can be an ear for you to, to talk to if you need it. And you talk about access. Um, it, it is a well-established problem in the mental health care industry that access or the current conventional approaches to accessing mental health care support are not taken up by everyone. 
you know, going to a GP, getting a referral, going off to see a psychologist. Yes, there are some members of the public that use that access approach. And in other cases, there's primary healthcare networks and, and various programs that work there. There are other points of access in uh, the overall economy and the, and, and the system, whether it's in the workplace. But again, clearly, 100% of people who are dealing with mental health issues are not utilising those access points in order to get the support that they need. So to me, I think it's a very understated part of what you're doing. You probably should think about emphasising that a little bit more. I think that access part of it, and, and particularly because it is an anywhere, anytime access point, the barrier that it is reducing that perhaps a percentage of the population that is reluctant or unable or unwilling to engage with the current status quo of access points can actually find it much easier to engage because they're not seeing it necessarily as a step towards meeting a psychologist day one, but they're coming into a space where there is a peer group, as you describe, and we'll get into the definition of an active listener in a moment. There's a, a peer group to be able to model the experience that you were talking about a little bit earlier where you just open up to a peer group. You feel safe enough to be able to open up and then ha get that rapport happening and get that sense of this is how I feel. Is this how you feel? Is how we all, you know, how are we sort of uh, dealing? What did you do about it? This is what I tried and kind of helping people to work through it. Is that kind of a fair characterization personally in terms of how that space works uh, within the platform? Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, I guess it's an interesting thing when it comes to the active listening part of, and, and I 100% agree, we probably should, I probably should emphasize the access part because even all the all of the processes we put in place in the in the app and and the way that we build things is all designed around access. Like we have people who are visually impaired, blind, using a service that is text only at the moment, and so we were like, well, it can read it out to us. So if we build it in a way that it's still accessible, so we are we are constantly thinking of ways how we can make it absolutely accessible to anyone. So that is certainly something we should probably emphasize a little bit more. I'll. Uh, I'll take note, note of that probably myself <laughs> uh, as someone who is constantly talking about the business. I should make a note of that. But as far as the way that that peer that peer group works on the on the app at the moment, it is it is like you you are forming one on one connections and relationships with the person. And the concept of active listening, I think, is more heavily geared towards almost guiding someone to make those self realizations. So we we talk about the concepts of building trust with someone and then listening and empathizing with them. And then as a result, crafting thoughtful questions based on what you've empathized with them. And as a result, maybe you can begin to understand what it is the motivation behind their thoughts and actions and continue to ask questions to help maybe shift their perspective. It's that old line of, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And so if we can just provide a safe place for people to kind of unpack, you know, process, and then maybe our active listeners can really help someone get to the point where the person does get a self-realization because the most powerful advice you get is the advice you give yourself. So if our active listeners can at least just help them process that and go through that and, um, and unload and unpack, they've really done a great job. It's not necessarily about advice giving. Yes, there will be naturally some sort of advice because it is connecting based on lived experience so that you can say, well, this is what helped me. It is really about just providing that really open space where people feel like they're heard and they're understood. Absolutely. And I'm drawing a relationship between a conceptual framework of digital health and what is digital health. There is an aspect of what we call in the industry uh, activated carers. What it tends to mean is that there are uh, people or, or groups of people who they may not necessarily be the qualified healthcare practitioner. They, they might be a paraprofessional or they might be a brother or a sister 
or a carer, you know, if we put it in the context of the NDIS here in Australia or in aged care, for example, brought into the healthcare model to be able to provide support for, for a person in line with the direction or in line with some kind of process or system that is backed by healthcare practitioners or has some kind of uh, clinical standard embedded in it. And where that kind of concept is useful is where the expert or the, the healthcare practitioner can't actually be there either in person at that particular time and the therapy model doesn't necessarily depend on the healthcare practitioner being there 100% of the time. So they can actually be uh, driving the direction, supporting that person with their goals, but actually bringing in some other people to provide a support system for that process. It's, It's not being referred or recommended initially by a practitioner, but it kind of has the potential to go the other way where the the support group is for some people will be enough we've had a chat i really love meeting you guys i'm so glad i'm not the only one that's going through this experience really appreciate that we've been able to trade experiences and talk about this and develop those self-management methodologies and that might be enough for some people but then there will be other people who it's not enough and then it sort of has the potential to act as a referral to qualified practitioners who can then engage in a clinical model, in a therapeutic model. What's your vision for that? Now, do you, have you thought that through? Is there, is there something in your plans that, that uh, goes towards that? Yeah, 100%. We have always been uh, stuck with the message that we are not here to replace you know, professionals. And we've, it's interesting because we've had conversations with you know, people who are maybe psychologists or, or trained professionals and there is initially a feeling of almost like they're a little bit threatened. They're like, wait, what are you, are you trying to replace me? What, like, what, if, what about the people who need me? It's like, no, no, actually we're doing the complete opposite is that, like you said, we're trying to you know, create active, I like, and I quite like the term activated carers, which is that you can't be there 100% of the time. So what if we can provide some support outside of that? And you're 100% right. They might not necessarily be referring as many people to us, but we've actually already started and we're actually releasing it in the, in the coming weeks, which is exciting, our own built-in referral pathways from the app. So partnering with obviously some fantastic organizations to try and create that, I guess, and we've called it stepped phase in, in the past, uh, but it's kind of essentially creating a seamless journey so that, you know, for those who only maybe need just that preventative space and need somewhere they can just open up to their peers, that's fine. But if someone does need additional help, then that channel is there and they can go from the space where they build confidence and that they trust to another space, at, you know, seamlessly and be able to continue to get the support rather than going, oh, but I, you know, I really love Voice of Health and I love this space and I love the active listeners, but now I've got to go off and venture on my own to find someone who can provide me with additional support because unfortunately it's outside of the scope of what an active listener can help with me. And so we went, well, we need to aid that process. So how can we make it so that the trust is still there that we've worked really hard to build and they can just go straight on to professionals, psychologists, counselors, and not only just going to you know, just psychologists and, and counsellors, but can we make it so that they can even be directed to the niche that maybe they need? So we don't we don't do youth at the moment, but we are talking about potentially releasing something within the youth space as well. Potentially, if it's uh, trying to think of <laughs> losing it, losing the niches, I guess at the moment. But okay, it could be like maybe for veterans. It could be for people, you know, a postnatal side of things when it comes to childbirth or reproductive health. But healthcare professionals who can help with the specific niches of empathy is kind of the bracket that we put it under, so that they're not just sent out into kind of like the. These are all the psychologists. It's like specifically targeted to continue that theme of this is their lived experience. 
they've connected with an active listener based on their lived experience. Now let's connect them with a professional based on their lived experience rather than just keeping it general. I hope that made sense. It was a bit of a long explanation, but uh, yeah. No, it does. certainly it, something that we... Anyway. It does. It does. And I think it's great. I think it's great to hear that you, you recognize that there are journeys in getting back to health. For a lot of people, there are journeys and that, you know, the healthcare system's big and there are, and there are uh, a number of established uh, access points already. So, but clearly they're not working for 100% of the population. And whilst I think it's great that you're partnering with uh, psychology providers and really starting to establish a part of your model, I think for anyone who was listening and felt threatened that, you know, Voice of Health might actually be letting go of any human elements or, the, you know, the support from healthcare professionals, I'm glad that you've sort of, you know, you've addressed that. But I think it's really clear to me that in the problem space of accessing healthcare, there are gaps. And Voice of Health, I think, fits in uh, with one of those gaps. It's going further towards lowering the barriers to access healthcare from professionals, but doing it in a way that an individual is self-referring initially. You know, they're, they're, they're coming through a process where they, uh, they're comfortable and, and they want to engage with it. And through that process, uh, they've either gone far enough and, and they're okay and, and, you know, they're sort of feeling in a good place after that experience, or alternatively, the community, the Voice of Health active listener is picking up a requirement to suggest or support that person to consider now engaging with the healthcare professional and helping that individual overcome any objections or self-talk that was sort of saying, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to a GP. I'm not going to a psychologist. Define the active listener and tell us more about the training and support that goes into that, that role. Yeah, and I could, I could see, I could see where, you, where your mind was going with that first route, which is that, yes, we do teach as part of the active listening training the ability to be able to manage expectations with the person you're talking to and also manage the boundaries because you, you can get into those spaces where if you're not trained, you can you know, start to get into you know, vicarious trauma and stuff like that if you're now potentially taking on something that is outside the scope of what you're trained to, to handle. And so that's certainly part of something we do. We do not only that, but also crisis identification. So if you, you know, you're talking to someone who is potentially sounds like they're in immediate danger or in crisis, you can refer them on. And we have built-in functionality into the app. So it's not just like telling the person, hey, I think you should go do this. We actually have built-in functionality that automates that whole process for the active listener, notifies us so that we can also step in and help and assist them with that process. That's part of it. But yeah, as, a, as an active listener, yeah, we developed our active listening training course by both, I guess, well, we wrote uh, quite a bit of it as well, but also drew a lot of some of the best resources we could find a number of different trainings around the world to make sure that you know, we, because I, I think initially, and there's some other platforms out there that they go, okay, yeah, we're, this is the platform we have, but the way that we train our people is we refer them off to this course and they're all trained in this particular course. That's great until you go, well, actually, I can see some limitations in the course and you're now governed by what the other course is teaching as to the quality of your listeners or your, your I guess, uh, supporters in that case. For us, we went, well, we don't want that. We know it's going to be a lot more work because <laughs> we've got to write an entire training course to do this, but we wanted to be able to make it so that we always knew that we controlled the quality of the active listeners and that we could give them the training and that we could make adjustments and we could add content as we saw it, as we uncovered the needs of an active listener and what they wanted to learn more about, we could add it ourselves. So we developed it ourselves and it, it, it's, we've had, you know, psychologists review it, we've had counselors, doctors, we had cultural anthropologists review it, we've had marketers review it, I've had social work students review it. So we've had a number of eyes on it and the more eyes we get, the better. But it, the, I guess the key concepts that we talk about, obviously under the active listening side of things is, you know, the building trust both online and offline, 
that listening and empathy. So we talk about the four levels of listening, talking about downloading, factual, empathic, and generative listening. We talk about how to improve your communication with potentially people who are not within your normal peer group. We talk about how to manage problematic behavior, identify you know, the change process someone is in, as I mentioned before, motivation and perspective, understanding good intent, crisis identification, as I mentioned, managing boundaries, managing your own self-care as well is a really big part of that. Understanding, well, part of the training is also talking about rules and boundaries as well as that, so that there is a little bit about you know, using the app because we wanted it to be a training that even if you just did the training and you finished it and you were like, I have improved life skills, that's fine. Like you, there's no obligation after doing our training to become an active listener on our app. It trains you to, but you don't have to. Some people will do it because they just want to be able to better support the people they care about around them. The better we can make the training, it actually flows onto the whole platform. So like the app can be as good as you want, but if your active listeners aren't trained to the best of our ability that we can train them, then the whole thing falls apart. It doesn't matter how good your tech is, it, it all falls apart. So I think for us, we've always had that approach, which is like, we always want to take a humanized approach to a human problem. I think so often what, what's happening is that, yes, we want to move into tech and we want to use technology to improve the way that we deliver support. But sometimes what that means is that you're taking a mechanical approach to a human problem. Whereas if you take a human problem and you address it with a human approach and then you aid technology in that human approach, it's a far more positive way to use technology. So for us, we understand that our people are the most important part of it. And so the training is that way of empowering the people. And that's why, and so we, you know, we break it up into two parts, which is that we have a self-paced part where people can learn at the pace that they want. But then we also have a second part, which is a kind of a group learning where we do, we conduct weekly webinars where we meet every single person who does our training. You know, so it's not just people churning and being on the platform. We meet every single person and we get to talk to them. We get to connect with them. We want them to feel like they're part of a, a really beautiful community because we care about them so much. As much as, you know, because they're caring about the people that come and use the app, well, you know, that's why we care so much about our active listeners. And we're always looking to try and improve even just the, you know, the care model for them not necessarily the care model that they provide. We want to, we're, I'm currently working with the University of New South Wales to try and implement a really strong care structure so that our active listeners feel empowered and they feel cared for as well. Yeah, I was getting a, a strong sense of that. And I think that definitely is kind of a novel take on the activated carer uh, kind of idea within that digital health conceptual framework. So, so an activated carer, is there a, a, a type? Is it open to anyone who wants to come along? It's not a, it's not a job per se. It's how would you describe the role? You know, because I, I look at your model and on the one side, there's a person just in life who is feeling that they might need some support, but they're not taking up, you know, any kind of conventional or established ways of gaining access to, to mental health care. They're on one side of the equation. Then on the other side, there are people who perhaps have, have lived through or been through something very similar to this person. And so uh, because they're on the other side of it, they now want to share their experience or, or be able to help other people. But they're not necessarily healthcare practitioners. They're not health providers per se. They're just people who are a little bit further down the road than perhaps somebody else on a similar issue. And then there's, you know, the professional psychologists and counsellors who could provide support if it's needed, if there's a, if there's a requirement to on-refer uh, through the model. So the activated carers are really critical part of the equation in that they're part of the value proposition in a sense, you know, where the consumer is not just signing up to a piece of software, they're actually signing up to gain access to people 
who they can talk about these things either one to one or you know in a in a group sort of setting within that online space so the activated carer seems to me like to be a, a really important part of the equation and i guess the question i was asking is who are you appealing to there and 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 what would your call to action be f- uh, for them if they're if they're listening the appeal, I mean, first of all, anyone is welcome to be. There's no, we've always said it's not a demographic as far as an active listener, it's a psychographic. If you're someone who has their own lived experience, who says, you know, I've learned some things through my lived experience and I would really love to share that with others and provide a safe place for them to be able to, to connect with me and, and provide that support, we'll, we will take anybody who is willing to, to, to do that. And it's, it is, a, like I said, it is at this stage a volunteer role. It is just about anyone who really wants to give back based on their own lived experience going, yep. this is what I went through. And I think that what I've learned from my experience, I can help others do the same. And, and I want to, and I want to give back and do that. And so it's, it's interesting because we do have actually funny enough, people who used to be trained professionals, you know, whether they're psychologists or counselors and they went actually just, you know, I had my own lived experience. I just want to kind of give back. And there's absolutely no expectations on active listeners. It's not like we don't have a regime of like how many hours or how many people we have to talk to. It's completely user driven by the active listener. If they want to talk to one person once a week, totally fine. They want to talk to 10 people, you know, that's fine. You want to talk only in the evenings. That's cool. You want to talk only on the weekend, completely up to you. So anyone who's yeah, basically willing to give, you know, wanting to give back based on their own lived experience, we would say we'll welcome you with open arms. I think it's super smart, James, because it's, uh, it's kind of a marketplace play where there is demand for uh, what you're defining as an active listener. You're providing a, a great way to actually orchestrate or facilitate the bringing together of those respective parties, which is fantastic. And I think tying in that piece where the active, the active listener, sorry, I've got activated carers in my head, but the active listener is being trained and supported to be uh, mindful of uh, potentially crisis or other types of issues that might need escalation or might need some sort of referral onto qualified healthcare practitioners is really great. And you already mentioned that you've got some parties that you've uh, developed those uh, e-referral uh, pathways to and will continue to do so. So I, th- I think it's a really, really smart model. And I, I think there's there's definitely a gap in the market around access points for people who perhaps resist or uh, don't want to engage for any reason with with the other approaches, but this would be a, a way for them to actually be able to access, act as a kind of an intermediary place where they may not even be conscious that they need to actually go on to a psychologist. And they've come this far and now that they're in this space, they're learning more and figuring out more and starting to become more comfortable with any additional support or, or referral that might be needed. So I think that's it's a real credit to your model. I can see why it's growing and, and it's got a lot of potential. In terms of potential, what's the world going to look like, I guess, over the, the next five to 10 years if uh, Voice of Health has it its way? Yeah, I like that question. I just wanted to make one more extra note on the access point that you were talking about just with the, the, that last bit, is that I, uh, which I should have also mentioned, was that it's, we want to also be an access point for people at the moment who are in the peer support model. So there's a lot of obviously, you know, peer supporters out there um, who are part of these massive networks, you know, that, you know, all across Melbourne, all across Australia. And especially during COVID, they had no opportunity to go into people's houses and do the work that they do so well. And so if anyone is out there and is a little bit concerned or still wants to continue to working in the peer support space, we would also welcome those who already have a lot of training in that space to come on and be like, hey, I can continue to develop my skills in a space that is you know is super accessible no matter what my situation is because I know a lot of people have you know had to move and or they're you know still even a bit nervous about going into people's houses or there's you know all these COVID uh, regulations around that so 
it's also an access point for the I think people who already exist in this space as well. As far as the question about where we where do we expect to be in five years, part of it ties into a little bit our business model, which is that we built ourselves in a way that we can or license out our software to empower other organizations that have existing you know networks where they have a support side and a support seeking side we can empower existing organizations to be able to provide a digital solution without having to build it from the ground up and we're a company that has built the software but we built it with a mental health mindset in in mind because you know that's exactly what we're trying to develop so we don't do youth so we're working with some youth organizations who want to provide this where they can have their you know community and youth advisors as essentially their version of an active listener providing support to youth and so Rather than, you know, because we all know youths are on their phones, so why not empower them to be able to provide support through them? So things like that is what we're, where we would like to get. We're also very heavily geared towards empowering people to be able to better self-manage their mental health. So part of the, the trajectory for us is to continue to implement tools within the app that help empower people to do that. So part of that is the introduction of a, a mindfulness section of our app. We're working towards a solution that is based around like mind, body and heart coherence. And so actually tying in both visual, auditory and tying it all together so that it's, it's you know, in those moments where, you know, an active listener goes, hey, have you ever tried any breathing exercises or have you tried anything that might help you in those moments where you'd be panicked? They don't have to go, uh, oh, I think this app's good. Um, I've heard of this one, you know, Headspace is pretty good, but it's $160 a year. Well, we can just go, well, there's a section in this app that you can check out and it's completely designed for the situation you might be in because it's geared for people who are in the preventative space who need something as maintenance to be able to better self-manage their mental health. So we want to, we want to introduce that. Now, if you want to go full on down the track, I want to introduce holoportation therapy. Now, that sounds a bit crazy, but it is the concept of using virtual reality to be able to place you and an active listener into a virtual space where you can continue that conversation. So you can use then visual aids so you're not just texting. But probably before then, we'll probably introduce voice calls through the app and video calls yep. uh, as part of it. But that also adds an extra layer of obviously additional training required to be able to provide voice support and continuing to educate our users on the fact that we are not a crisis support line. We are preventative. So introducing things like voice and video call mean that people expect to be able to get support straight away, which means that you do end up with people in a crisis and, and there's a whole bunch of additional risk mitigation that comes with that. So there's that side of things. And I think just continuing to grow, like we, we're already international. We made that decision a long time ago because, you know, why not? You know, if, if you're using the concept of active listening and you're using empathy, then it, it really knows no bounds. As long as you, you know, make sure that people are culturally sensitive, then you can empathize, you know, and there's a lot of people around the world who are struggling. So there's nothing to say that we couldn't do that straight away. And it also helps with the time zone issues as well, because one of the one of the most volatile times for anyone's mental health is often between 12 a.m. and 3 a.m. And you know, if our active listeners are asleep, well, you know, what about our active listeners in the U.S. or our active listeners in the U.K. or our active listeners in Canada, Singapore, Hong Kong? I had I've got someone joining who's from Tanzania. So it's I think for us. It's the expanse and also the introduction of, of new tools to help better self-manage your mental health, I think, is a, is a big part of it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it is the right business model to be international right from the get-go because you need that local resource pool, so to speak, whether it's the active listener or whether it's the local healthcare professionals in order to support and serve the local people, consumers, you know, whatever the term is that uh, resonates more with people. And, you know, the platform can actually intermediate all of that activity and, and provide that kind of support and access point and distribution and, you know, really create that space. So 
in a way, it's kind of like a social media kind of framework, but designed specifically for people who want to talk about a particular healthcare issue. It's a great model. I can see it scaling and being replicable because you're you're facilitating. There's demand and there's uh, the supply side and they, they want to get together and they don't want to be necessarily, they're, they're not doing it because they're all in the same postcode. They actually want to connect based on empathy, based on a sense of rapport around common ground that one person is currently experiencing for the first time or perhaps at an intense level, whereas somebody else on the other side has the benefit of experience and having worked through it in their own way. And that creates a very powerful relationship context for those people to actually be able to feel comfortable to open up, talk about it. I, I connect with it in so many different ways and we don't have enough time today to sort of unpack a few things. But I think one of the stories you shared earlier was really positive in that the the 10 to 15 friends that your brother was it that opened up to were all very uh, supportive. Oh, sorry, your Luke, sorry, Luke, Luke co-founder. Your, your co-founder. You know, that's a really happy um, uh, scenario. Uh, you know, I, I, I recall a moment in my life where I opened up about some stuff and lost some friends in the process. So I didn't have the support and that was really lonely and isolating and it was a very painful part of my life, um, especially when you're, you know, 19, 20-year-old, you know, because you don't want to behave the same way as the peer group, you know, believes that you should. And, you know, you question some of the choices that are being made and it's very hard for a teenager to to do that when you're uh, developing not just, you know, your friendships but you're trying to figure out who you are in the process. Uh, I, I have a personal connection and empathy with the value proposition of being able to reach out to people who um, you could sort of say, well, this is what I've gone through, you know, what was it like for you and create, I guess, a, a way of navigating yourself you know, through that. So I think it's a, it's a great idea. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your journey going forward with Voice of Health, James. And I really appreciate you coming in to um, talk to us today about it, sort of share some of that story and, and look forward to having you back at some point in the future. Thanks, mate. Look forward to the, to the next one. Appreciate it. Likewise. Much appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.